Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. This show is all about commercial property investing for the private investor. Whether you're just getting started or scaling up your portfolio, through interviews, tips and lessons learned along the way, we want to give you the inspiration, knowledge and confidence to enjoy this great cash flowing strategy. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. This is the first edition or episode that we've actually got a repeat guest. Tony Freef, who I've been working with forever, is my guru on anything technical, has agreed to come back on and talk about provision for those that are just getting started. And we've we've talked in general about internet provision before, Tony, on, on the podcast. I think it was back in December 2020, believe it or not. So welcome back. Oh, happy to be back again, Jerry. It's great to have you. As ever, things have moved on since December 2020 considerably, really. The market's grown, flexible offering um, demand has really increased, and the technology solutions are improving all the time, aren't they? Yeah, and and one of the changes is is that the if you like the threshold for flexible space is is getting smaller, so much more viable uh, to go. People call it down market, but it's much more viable to go to smaller spaces than it used to be when you used to have a need an awful lot of equipment for yeah for flexible space, and that that was a big overhead and it needed people etc. So. And a lot of cost. The cost yeah. was, was hard, wasn't it? So today, really, you, you've you've hit on hit on it straight away. We I want to focus on really how do we help the new entrant get started with internet provision? If somebody gets a blank space, they may have bought it, or they may be doing a rent to rent, where they're, they're they're basically putting on a lease and trying to sublet it. We're going to go through that. It's really just about um, how they can set up something in a reasonably simple manner and all the considerations they need to do. But let me just set the context again. A lot of the people that I'm working with, and indeed people you've, you've now met and had chats with as well, our listeners are getting started with mo- multiple occupancy buildings, or they're maybe scaling up. So so we're not talking about properties that have 100,000 square feet, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, might be just a few thousand square feet. Um, so let, let's start at the basics. What what is the kind of expected industry norm now for clients of Flexspace? They can expect to walk in without any setup, connect to the internet and start working. And they're not usually that fussed about the bandwidth. They just got to work well. And that technically comes in at about, you know, somewhere between 30 to 50 meg will give you a, com- as a number, will give you a comfortable level of, of customer experience, to use the jargon. Um, and uh, anything below that, probably you might get a little bit of pushback uh, from one or two people. But that's that's his expectation. If you can give people a, a reasonably fast internet connection, which works the moment they walk into the space uh, without too much setup, that's that is the the norm. Yeah. So it's it, maybe not the best word to use, but it is becoming more of a commodity expectation. It's just there. Plug and it play. Is. 
It is, and, it, and for another reason as well, technology's moved on, and one of the things that's making life simpler and makes us more viable is that people's applications are now in the cloud. So instead of it running on local equipment and having complex setups, people can equally, as you people know, post-pandemic, you, you could work at home, you could work in the office. Reason is all the software that you need is actually in the cloud. So you need a good internet connection, but not much else. Whereas in the old days, is you needed a lot more security and a lot more setting up. So that's this is why it's now possible for smaller spaces to to work simpler, but actually offer you know uh, offer places to work which weren't viable beforehand. Yeah, and before the offer generally was more company orientated, wasn't it? Whereas now, the opportunity to to do it more on an individual basis, and and we're, we're our models obviously changing uh, the membership model that we're we're developing out. So that that technical change has allowed your whole marketing, your sales process, everything to change really when you're doing flex space, particularly if you're talking about the smaller end, the smaller types of businesses. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they don't need, you know, on the technical side, they don't really need a network. They just need to contact the internet. So you're much more working in logical, much more use of the word member nowadays rather than companies. So if you've got a, you know, if you take, say, seven, 8,000 square feet, that's a good size entry level space. Um, you know, you rule of thumb, speak to me, I go, okay, 7,000 square feet, that's 70 people, you know, divided by 100, that gives you a, a rough sort of size. But in actual fact, that, that might be well, six, 10 companies, maybe if it's very small, if it's 100 people, it might even be 50 two-person offices or, yeah. or something like that um, if you in a city centre. The point being is that, again, all of them in that sort of scenario are probably just talking to the internet. They don't really need anything complicated. The most they're ever going to bring into the office is maybe a Sonos speaker or something consumerish or whatever, or a little yeah. printer, you know. And, and yes, those do cause problems, but 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 in generally speaking, the difference between working from home and working in a small scale space is very 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 small. There's not much difference. They're very similar. Great. Okay. Super. So I've got a lot of questions here. I'm going to come on to things like pricing and costing and considerations for future proofing and all that sort of thing. But but right now, let's just go over some of the basics. Um, we, as you know, we've been developing out our project in Glenrothes. We've put in a, quite a lot of structured cabling on our first phase of the development. But but even now, the next phase is going to have less. Um, yeah. And and really, that just brings us on to people that are developing out spaces right now. What do you think the customer demand going forward is going to be for? Is it more and more for Wi-Fi than it is fixed points? How do you see that evolving? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's two means of connecting. One is Wi-Fi, one is a wired connection. Wired connections are nice and reliable. You've got a cable, you've got control over it. But it comes with a cost and it's difficult and you've got to run it around offices. And um, I've always used... It depends where you are in the country, but say in London, in a reasonable size office, you're paying 50, 60 pounds a point for a cable end connection. Before the switches, that's just for the cabling to go from a central point, which we call a comms room, into the office. Whereas Wi-Fi, you, a device will support maybe 50 users at a fraction of the cost per user. Um, and that gels with the customer expectation, which is you go into space, they've got Wi-Fi on their devices and their mobiles and their tablets, 
and they don't want to plug in anywhere because they might move the office around. Um, they might have some comfy sofas nowadays, which you didn't see in offices in the old days, but you know, they, they weigh work differently. Um, so they're going to be expected to go on Wi-Fi as well. What that means is that you can now, for security sake, you might put, you know, for your forward, um, you know, sa safety, if you like, you might put one connection into an office, whereas the old time people would say, oh, you've got to have at least two, three wiring points per desk. Okay. Yeah. I think you can safely say nowadays if that needed did occur, maybe one in 20, one in 30 companies might need a lot of wiring, you would put something in the office to break it out. So that, that I would go from the presumption of save your money, <clears throat> one connection per office, um, or maybe two at the most per office, but not per desk, and rely on the Wi-Fi and expect people to come in using Wi-Fi. Yeah, and if you're if you're developing out now or just in the near future, you're starting from scratch. Your new customers coming in haven't got an expectation that you've got hardwired points. You're starting from scratch, and there's no the the, the discussion about it is much easier now because the tech on the kit they're bringing in is more Wi Wi-Fi related. And as you say, if somebody really does want to have a network in their own room, they can put in a mini switch and and break out from there and lead into whatever pieces of kit they've got in the room. That's right. I mean, Apple, you can't even get network devices for now. So, so you would have to put Wi-Fi in the room for anybody using Apple. Yeah. I've just bought a new Dell laptop here. It doesn't have a network connection. I would, I, and if I want to do, I have to put a dongle on it to give a network connection. The whole infrastructure is now, the whole way we work is, is presuming Wi-Fi first. Yeah. So that's great for people that are looking at the expense of setting up structured cabling. Um, and now they maybe can just use Wi-Fi. There is, of course, that challenge of what structure, what type of building do you have? Yes. But, I mean, Wi-Fi is so much better than it was a few years ago, Tony, when we first started putting it in. But as you know, some of our buildings are, you know, fairly solidly built. Um, I remember in the past you've, you've mentioned if we're doing partitioning that timber stud rather than metal stud is a good thing. But, you know, you can do maps now, can you? You can go into these buildings, do a lot of um, survey work and actually map out how many units you need. And in the Glenrothes one, I think you came back with three units for seven and a half thousand square feet. So basically each floor, I think, was three units. Is that correct? Uh, it before, you, you had one, and you're very typical, you had one big open plan area with a block exterior wall, but everything was internal. You're putting stuff partition, that's transparent. So that's that's about 5,000 square feet, and we covered it with three devices quite yeah. easily. So one of the norms is, in an open plan area, work on 1,500 square feet per Wi-Fi point, access point, um, and you won't be far wrong. And so when you're working out your budgets, you can just scale up like that. You may need okay. more, you may need less, depending on the density and other factors. But in Glenrothes, you also had an extension, which is behind the bathrooms and a passageway, which yeah. were all brick, uh, and then a load of metal for stairs. And then you had another, what was it, 800 square feet or 1,000 square feet. Yeah. Um, which is it had to be separately provided. So you have to run cables to that. Um, and then we need to put more access point, another access point in there. But it was less than a thousand square feet. So one device would do that fine. Yeah. And and if if somebody is struggling because they've got a B-listed building somewhere, <laughs> or you know, it's all yeah. um, solid stone and everything else, they, there is a possibility of using that structured cabling, pop one unit, one basically Wi-Fi unit in each office. Yeah. So if you think of it, there's two models. One is open plan, 
and the devices go in the ceiling and they cover a large area. Um, if you've got bad walls, then think of it like hotels. You've got lots of individual hotel uh, units and you have one Wi-Fi device per bedroom, one Wi-Fi device per small room if because it's blocked off and it's made out of block and stone yeah. and, and um, brick. And, and these devices are now relatively cheap. They also break out to network connections as well. So they give you Wi-Fi and network connections in one device. Yeah, so you could patch in some kit that's maybe needing it. Just out of interest, what is the typical cost for putting one of those in a, a, in a single unit? Single unit, it varies hugely. And this is comes down to, you know, kind of getting the right advice and, course, and, yeah. and, and planning. But but if you went to um, what we call enterprise grade, top grade stuff, um, you will probably be paying three or four hundred pounds per small office at the perfectly adequate and um, stroke enterprise stroke small business size, maybe 70 to 80 pounds per office. Yeah. Okay, and it just is I'm sure some of the listeners have already made the connection, but it's worthwhile pointing out this can work just as well for HMO projects, serviced accommodation, or multi-blocks, where you're getting one internet provision in the same kind of line that we're going to be talking about for for the, the office buildings can also work in those those setups. Yeah, that's right. Although um, accommodation, whether it's HMO, whether it's serviced, or whether it's uh, just standard, um, uh, you know, uh, buy to let or whatever. Residential users are more demanding, uh, more difficult than commercial uh, uh, business users. Um, they need more internet than they have a per user than a standard um, flat. For instance, I did something in Manchester a couple of years ago. We were planning on eight or nine devices just for a one-bedroom flat um, because they got their TV, they got the Sonos, they got their Apple stuff. Um, God knows what else they're putting into it as well. So it's a little. I think you need a little bit more advice on doing accommodation. Commercial business space is very simple. Isn't it funny? They're using more than the than the businesses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So, well, just on that, um, we've spoken there a little bit about the options on kit, right? But just maybe some of those more. Traditional people who think about some of the old terms like firewalls, separating people, managing customers. What are the the bigger bits of kit or tech that we need in the background that's that's allowing multiple yeah. customers to use the same effectively the same internet connection? Yeah. So there's, if you like, there's four components for, for network management. So you've got your internet connection. You have a device which secures you from the internet and breaks it up into, and that's a firewall, breaks it up into different uh, sections. You have the network switches we talked about, which feed the wires, including the access points. And then at the end, you put access points, which then convert it back to wireless. So those those are the four layers, if you like, in, in any space. And even at home, you've, you've got exactly the same. Okay. Yeah. But it might be, there might be all, all of it in one unit. So the firewall does the most complicated job, which is, it segregates the people who shouldn't talk to each other, which is everybody, you know, basically. So if you've got three people in a company, they may potentially want to talk to each other, but otherwise they want to talk to the internet. But what they mustn't do is be able to talk to the office next door. Yeah. So that's what we call a segregation. VLANing is the technical term, et cetera, firewall segregation. But you do have to do that. Otherwise, you end up printing on somebody else's printer and, and all sorts of, of course, yeah. nasty <laughs> happen. <laughs> but apart from which, you don't, you know, if somebody gets a Trojan, then it rips through the whole building and everybody gets a Trojan um, just because somebody's been stopping on security. So the segregation is important. 
But again, going back to the way we work now, because we all work with a cloud in the internet, we, it's gone the other way, which is it's just like a hotel. You One user talks only to the internet, can't talk even to their colleagues. If they do need to talk to their colleagues, like share a file, they go out to the internet and back down again. Yeah. And that's this, that's where it's new. And that's where it's a lot simpler than it used to be. Because in the old days, bandwidth was so expensive, you wouldn't want somebody to send a video out to the internet and back again to their colleague who is sitting next to them. But nowadays, it makes perfectly sense, perfectly good sense. Let's just quickly talk about the um, lines, actually. What is the industry norm now in terms of bandwidth? What, what, do, you, what do you regularly get asked for these days? Right. Um, <clears throat> what, you get, what we supply now and what is needed are two different things. What we get asked for nowadays and what, uh, what is supplied are different. So because the standards of the fiber in the ground have changed, one gigabit or a thousand megabits per second is now become the norm. And you, if you go down to 200 or 300, you don't save a huge amount of money usually. You may save a few, you know, 10, 20 pounds a month on that connection. So the individual user is using 10, 20, 30, 50 megabits per second. They don't all work at the same time. So, you, you know, I think, you know, one of your locations we just looked at, for instance, you had 80 people who are probably sharing 100 meg on regular usage um, without too much stress. You might like to give them a bit more, but that's about, about the kind of level because people don't work all the time. So you don't need to both say, I've got 80 people and each got to have 50 meg, therefore I need a huge number. No, it doesn't work like that. Um, or put it the other way around, people are now getting a gig internet because that's the unit that comes. It's cheap and it has masses of capacity and you yes. won't have to worry about anything for years to come. And that 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 we've never been in that situation with the internet before where bandwidth is now commoditized and, and so cheap. Um, and that means that unless you've got a very small location, maybe below, oh, certainly below 50, but maybe 20, 30 people, you probably would go straight to a gig internet and future-proof yourself um, and be very generous with your bandwidth. Yeah, <laughs> and it would certainly set you set you apart from your competition if you're in an area where there isn't um, lots of, let's say, professional, flexible workspaces. You know, which you may find in city, there's a lot of competition, but but in certainly in the more tertiary locations, there's not so much competition. It, interestingly, um, we should maybe just touch on what. A line actually is because a lot of people still even still think of their kind of benchmark is I'm going to get super fast internet from OpenReach or BT or whoever it is Virgin at 80 meg yeah. and of course <laughs> that's only download speed the upload speed might be 15 meg yeah. and then on a Friday night or a Thursday night when everybody's watching Netflix actually your contention or your Competition for that line is quite significant with everybody else that lives in the same street or the same yeah. neighbourhood. So it does go down. Whereas what we're talking about are leased lines. Yes. Where the um, internet provision is what they call symmetrical. So basically, if you have a 100 meg download speed, which is when you're you know, consuming lots of content online, but you want a 100 meg upload because now as you're working, you're uploading lots of files that's a symmetrical line where you've got yeah. 100 and 100. So when we're talking about a gigabit, Tony, we're really talking 1,000 meg down and 1,000 meg up. 
Absolutely right. I know <clears throat> don't expect to log in and do a speed test at that round because speed tests don't go that fast. <laughs> um, yeah, you, um, but yes, 800, 900,000, it's all, all the same. What the difference is, is even for quite small spaces, now you have to buy an enterprise grade, something that a biz, big business would use to buy that type of circuit. It comes with SLAs, it comes which you don't get for the smaller circuits. So in the old days, when bandwidth was really expensive, we would try to get a small space working on a large business, uh, small business unit, sorry, and which is your 8020, FTTC or whatever. Um, but the problem is those don't have any support. They don't come with any warranties. If it breaks, it's best luck. You know, uh, it, it may be fixed in, in 10 minutes. It may be fixed in two weeks. You don't know. But I tell you, if you've you know had a, had a location where the internet's been down for more than a few hours, where it's shared location, uh, you do have a bunch of very grumpy people, not just one, but you have a whole building full of grumpy people, of <clears throat> which is hard on whatever. So whereas the enterprise circuit, it's fiber, it's fiber into your, where your point of demarcation, it guaranteed there uh, and you get a support team to call. Um, they monitor it themselves. They tell you if the circuit goes down and they pay you credits if there's an outage. And we are talking about 99.5 is percentage availability is a, is a moderate level, but I've got ISPs I work with who now give 100% reliability. They basically say, we will pay you for every minute that's down, we will pay you a day in compensation. Oh, great. We'll talk about that when we're offline. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just, um, let's just talk a bit more about numbers then, because when I first got our, we got our first 100 meg line, I think we were around about £1,000 a month. Maybe in slightly more, maybe in slightly less, but around about that. It was a deep breath, sitting down moment. But but now, what, what are the typical costs somebody can looking for at a gigabit line, which is 10 times as fast, and what's the kind of price point? It's about 400 now. It could go up to 500, 600 if you're a long way from the exchange and fiber's very thin. Um, you may be city centre, you might get it down to 350, 320 um as, as we just said it's a commodity now so that that that's how it comes um and it and it it the only thing to remember is with with that is it can take three months to install yeah um so you don't want to leave this decision until two weeks before opening because you won't have any internet yeah. <clears throat> um so yeah so effectively that's the standard price Sometimes you think about failovers and resilience put in a second connection, et cetera. And in the future, I think it will get more complicated with 5G. But for the moment, next three years, just basically one gigabit price about 400, unless you're in a very difficult area. And that's when we have to be clever, know who's got fiber in the ground and go to the right company. <clears throat> but if you, for instance, if we took Dundee, your location in Dundee, <clears throat> there were three different fiber providers available. Usual suspects: Open Reach, Virgin, and a, uh, a local one. Yeah, and, and the price over the last three years has gone down again, and the the, the ability to upgrade that line to much higher speeds has gone up as well. So it, it it is definitely all going in the right direction. It's interesting you were saying there about the time time frame, maybe three months, maybe even plus that, depending on where yeah. you are. So it's best check as soon as you can. But another thing is, if somebody's looking at a building. They yeah. haven't bought it yet. They're going through the process of doing the due diligence. Actually, it's worthwhile finding out where the exchange is and actually getting a postcode submitted and finding out, actually, can I get fibre here? I mean, it's not impossible to get fibre, but my goodness, it can be a different price. Well, and, and the fibre may be frustratingly 30 metres away and you can't access it. 
because yeah. you've, got to, you've got to go over somebody's demise. Okay, so and, it's, and then then you get a bunch of way leaves, uh, and and they come along and say, yeah. As, to give you an idea, I think it's um, something that OpenReach says about two hundred pound per meter for digging. Okay, soft dig is cheaper, but but if you're putting in a ducted dig, if the fiber's not in the building, and if you're taking over an older building, it may well have the wrong fiber or no fiber or just copper. Um, you know, 1980s building wasn't, they didn't have fiber in the 1980s or even early parts of the 1990s. And the later 1990s buildings may have had fiber retrofitted. It's only when you get to post 2000, you actually find buildings with the ducting put in place as part of the build. So um, you really do need to look at that because if there is a problem, it could take a year, 18 months in the worst case when you go when you get stuck into legal issues away leaves etc and people can't find a way through that is always a workaround but but just you don't want to be facing that having bought your building yeah you don't want to, you don't want to leave it to the last minute and interestingly um you can have two or three fiber connections into your building but they could be from different providers and they may not actually um, yeah. allow <laughs> others or indeed may not be interested in going over somebody else's stuff they're going to have to put their own in and can, can I introduce also the, the, the classic mistake that everybody makes is they go in and they somebody points and says, that's the ex person leaving says, that's my fiber connection. And you go, oh, good, I can use that. No, you can't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they will insist on using a new fiber connection. Um, they may take over an existing one, but it's a new contract for the telco. Okay. So you can't take over other people's previous connections. You can't even assume it will be worked or you'll be offered anything on it. They, they may be just, it's the wrong piece of fiber that comes in. It's the wrong uh, company. And and it gets, they basically just say, no, we want to bring in our own new fiber and we're going to pull that ourselves. So you knew there's no substitute to getting a, a, a good quotation or a bunch of quotations for, for the internet. Yeah. Okay, so the other part is the kit on site that depending on what kit you're going for and what level, enterprise level, or or perhaps slightly lesser grade, that could take as long, but there are some setups that could be quite quick. So yeah. what should, just give us a wee thought on that, Tony. Well, we've got some special issues at the moment with the world chip crisis, yeah. and that's going to that's last through 2022 into early 23. So I've just got a location at the moment where the key bit in the middle called the core switch is a big location. They're quoting 157 days for delivery, which takes us to September <laughs> from, from April. Um, the rest of the kit's available. Um, so the other £200,000 worth of kit is available, but the <laughs> bit in the middle costs <laughs> £3,000. And we're running around, can we go buy a spare? So that's the current situation. Um, the uh, There are... For the smaller locations, which I think we're talking about most yeah. you know, new developers, it's more or less available off the shelf. So allow four weeks, maybe six weeks. If it's very, very simple, it can be put together by a local IT company. But generally speaking, it comes a point where you probably want an IT support company who knows how to do multi-tenancy. And there's a world of difference there because of the security issue. People, yeah. You either know it or you don't know it. And if you don't know it, um, you will make big mistakes. So even you have to be really, really simple to actually just use a, a friendly neighborhood IT company. But we are getting to the stage where you can do it yourself with a bit of advice. And if you keep it simple and you don't make it, you make a standardized product offering across everybody, yeah. you can save yourself that two, three, four thousand pounds a year support charge with having a support desk. Um, but obviously you've got to reflect it in your T's and C's with the with the customers as well that you aren't offering that level of support. Yeah. But 
but so so there is i think nowadays if you're talking about it again it used to be 20 30,000 pounds worth of kit just to do anything nowadays you could do access points at 150 to 200 pounds you can do switches uh below you know 500 pounds um so you can build solutions for around a few thousand pounds uh which will do 50 100 people okay uh whereas in the past even comparatively recently you couldn't do that yeah the other bit of the key thing for people to think about is yes there's that infrastructure cost then it's the ongoing stuff and as you say it's either a partnership with somebody local or but whatever wherever they're located they understand how multi-occupancy works and how to separate out all those different individuals with the firewalls let's just talk about that for a second you know Part of the process of FlexSpace these days is making it as simple and as flexible as possible for the customers, as smooth as possible, as little friction as possible. So, you know, how, how are these systems developing to allow you to onboard and offboard people relatively easily? That that's the if you like that's the development area. So so. If you think nowadays when you sell something, you may put it onto a management platform or a CRM or something like that. You, yeah. And that, that's got your contract and the point of sale. And if you've got operating in multiple locations or any whatever, you want to automate that down to provide in the network. If it's your first location, you probably don't have that. Or you, probably, you know, if it's quite small, you can't really justify that sort of kind of management cost and you're just doing your invoicing from Sage or something like that. Yeah. In which case, you need somebody to show you how to set it up. But one of the ways of simplifying it is to have a standard single product, which is a default condition, and it's enabled. And literally, all you're doing is you're changing the name on the connection. So instead of being connect, you know, instead of being you know, user two four three, it actually becomes Joe Blog. Okay, and and that that level of simplicity will take away an awful lot of this onboarding yeah. and offboarding issue. The only thing you've got to remember that when people leave, this is a, again the classic mistake is they accumulate users who have long left, <laughs> and they look at it. And they've got four hundred users on the system, but only hundred in the building. And they yeah. go, "How did that happen?" And, and and because companies, even a two-person band may may you know somebody may leave, somebody may join. Um, and you get three, four over the course of time, you know, in that two-person office. So um, you do have to to think about sit down and say. What do I do to sell? What do I, what's what form is the customer going to sign or service? How am I going to take that form and make something happen? Or is there a default ready to happen that the service is already in in Office Two and ready to move in, etc.? You've got to just think through those processes and maybe chat to somebody who can give you some advice to make it smooth. Yeah, and, I, and I'm, I'm, while we're having this conversation, Tony, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious that you and I both have, um, let's call it baggage from the industry and, and how things have been sold and and how. You offer to customers different bandwidths and different types of connections, all these different things. But actually, for the for the listeners on this, yes, if somebody really wants something specific, then yes, you can offer bespoke things. But realistically, now is to try and standardize what you're offering customers because the bandwidth is so much better. Whereas before, you really needed to manage it because it costs so much money and there was a lot less of it. So if you've got a new location with 15, 20 customers, to try and standardize what they all have. And if I'm picking you up right, Tony, basically you've got 20 connections, let's say, or 40 because there's 40 individuals and they're just always there. You yeah. just change the person, maybe the code. And so from a management point of view, there's less IT required. Yeah. It's more about just managing the in and out of those customers. 
And I think if you go back, here's a good parallel. If you go back to the history, I know I spent my life traveling in hotels. And when Wi-Fi first came into hotels, they offered you two, three, four different bands and different prices and whatever. Nowadays, no, you just get internet. And and it's assumed to be adequate for what you want to do. And, and, And the same applies. Whenever you put in complexity of multiple products, You've got to have a scale to make it worthwhile handling that complexity because everything, it means you've got a choice, you've got decisions, you've got to say what's the difference between the two. You have to be able to say what, you know, test it and show that they're the difference, you know, because somebody says, I'm not getting the bandwidth I've, I've paid for. So always, I would say, start with vanilla, okay, <laughs> just one product, one service, and make them for anybody have a really good business case for you to move off that. And, and I think, again, in the old days, if you go off the standard, people have to pay for it. They have to pay for the setup, yeah. the expertise to do it. Um, and I think you'd have to grow fairly big before you start offering nowadays different types of product um, on, on a, in a commercial space anyway. Yeah, and there are some, especially, um, let's just take an example, tech companies that maybe move into your space who actually just get their own line in. And, and, you know, they bring in their own lease line. It might be a gigabit line. And on one side, you know, you could reflect, think, oh, there's a missed opportunity to share um, the bandwidth we're already paying for and make a turn on it. But the silver lining to that is the sign-up period, which is what I'm going to come on to next. Generally, for these lines, you need to sign up for three years. Yes. So that's an implication for you. If you're taking on a new premises and you want to put in a fiber line, is you may have to sign up for three years. Certainly, pricing-wise, it, it makes the most sense to do three years. But if a customer says they're going to put in their own line and they sign up for three years, well, guess what? That means they're committing to staying in your space for three years. So there is a silver lining to that. Tony, is that really where it is right now? And it, it's three years, isn't it? And that's partly due to sort of the the onboarding costs. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you think if somebody's going to put a fiber in, they've got to send somebody to your premises. These are qualified people. So they're talking, you know, £100 an hour or more for somebody to go to your site as, as their internal cost. So, uh, in fact, another way to look at it is you look, look for a one year contract, they will charge a setup plus one year's uh, service. It comes out exactly the same price as three years. <laughs> okay. That tells you how much the setup is. <laughs> uh, so, it's, it's, they don't make their profit until year month 18. Okay, that's that's where they start breaking even on 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 internet services. So um, from that point of view, it is now always three years. Nobody ever moves off three years nowadays um, for for you as a as a buyer. And if you want to terminate it short as as the operator of the space, you will have to pay the you know basically the un, unused months. You're not going to get any compensation for whatever. But somebody coming into your space. Again, the two things you're giving them is they don't have to wait to get an internet connection installed. They don't have any problems with way leaves and all that sort of stuff. They can work on day one and they can take a year's license from you and and not have any exit costs. Absolutely. And if you're competing locally with um, more traditional space, so a customer's coming to you and saying, oh, you know, I'm getting an offer down the road for £10 a square foot and you're offering it at £30 a square foot because you're serviced, that's a really important point you make there, Tony. Actually, the £10 a square foot may not be accessible for six months until they actually get a decent internet connection. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then they've got to spend it three years. So, so now you're talking about three years and six months. Exactly. Um, so that, that's what that's what the beauty of flex space is and why it's growing so much is because it's just easy, at least for the customer. <laughs> I, and increasingly, I mean, if you, I mean, 
for some time now, it's been the case in London that nobody will give a lease under 5,000 square feet because it's always going to be a service license nowadays. Yeah. Um, and that and it's just like thresholds getting higher and higher and people are talking about 10,000 square feet as being a kind of threshold before, for leasing rather than a license. And, and you know, below that, people, you know, if you think of, you know, you're, I mean, the other thing is larger companies now, they, they're broken up. They want two, three, four units for people who are close to home it's the HR people who be paying the bill nowadays, not somebody else. Okay, yes, yes. Uh, um, and actual fact, a lot of the competition is is home. So the person who's coming into the space may be competing with themselves and may go, "I just want to get out of home," um, or I've got a bad internet connection at home, or their employer is saying, "I can't bear them working at home anymore because their internet connection is so bad." And whatever, I want to get them in an office. I want somebody to keep an eye on them. I want somebody to take their messages, or if that's going to be part of the service, uh, I want you know I, they just want to get out close to the shops. So a lot of the competition, particularly in the smaller spaces, is home working. Yeah, yeah, we've definitely noticed an upturn in the number of customers who um, whose invoice is paid by a head office somewhere. Yeah. It's not by the individual, which was certainly the case most of the time before, but now it's a head office that's paying for a one-person, two-person space. And the one thing where you can get a little bit more revenue is if somebody who takes, say, a three-person office but wants to use it for six people on a rotational basis. Yeah. And you can say, well, actually, that's six. They need six Wi-Fi connections or probably 12 because of the mobile device as well. You that's an easy way to add a little bit more revenue. It's still a question. You still have to, you know, police it or decide how you can do it, or you can do it on trust and say to them, you know, how many people do you want to use? Okay, I will throw in an extra, you know, an extra three uh, uh, user connections for you. Uh, so you can use put six people in this three piece and space on a rotational basis. And it can be part of the negotiation. You can give away some Wi-Fi for free. It doesn't cost you anything, but it's, you're adding to the value of the deal. So that that is probably the most the easiest negotiation area that, that exists at the moment. Yeah, I'm I'm going to do a, a future podcast on that. Just how our models changing and how membership and dealing with individual is working better, and some of the benefits you just spoke directly about one there, where somebody wants six person office. Sorry, a three person office, but there's six in the team. Yeah, and so it, it goes right back to the, the sales process goes right back to the start and the expectation and, and setting that outright. So your model, um, the change in your model might well help with the sales process. But anyway, I'm going to come on to that on, a, on another episode. So the, so the last thing, the piece I wanted to talk about was people now kind of know what the ongoing monthly cost is for the line, what maybe a setup might look like and cost. So the other bit is traditionally there would be an ongoing technical assistance support cost and sometimes even just a kind of a license agreement that comes with the kit yeah so let's just talk through that tony has that changed much what what's your recommendations for somebody who's looking at a smaller space yeah so it depends on the kit you're buying so if you're buying entry level entry level kit but good quality enterprise kit it probably doesn't come with a subscription or might be a small portal charge of 10 20 30 pounds a month um if you're going up to Cisco kits, um, then that is the reverse. It's licensed on a three-year license or one-year license, whatever you buy, and it has a support charge and it has a portal charge and it gets quite expensive. But with that, it comes you know, a, a fantastic system yep. if you're doing anything complicated. However, you then need to go, well, how do I make my changes? How do I support it? What happens if somebody can't connect the internet? Given the fact that it might well be their problem, you still need 
do you want to provide somebody to call? Do you feel comfortable taking those calls yourself, yeah. which is going to take out of your day? Or do you have staff who can take the call or whatever? Um, or do you need to offload it to a support company? If you're going to get support company involved, to be honest, uh, to use an old phrase, they don't get out of bed for less than 120, 150 pound a month, even if they don't do anything, because they've got to set you up as a customer. It really isn't worth anything less than that. So whether they know multi-tenancy or not, they're still going to be looking for that amount of money uh, a month. Um, and so obviously, if you've got 100 uh, members, that's not really a problem. It's a set a percentage of, of, of your uh, space charge. If you're smaller, 20, 30, you may be tempted to try and go without support, using friends, get a bit of training, get known yeah. themselves yourself. And because, again, the risk is, is lower if you've got 20 people and they all have to suddenly go out to Starbucks to get an internet connection. It's not such a bad issue as, as, as if uh, you've got 100 people who have got a problem. So it, it, it's tricky, but the smaller you get, the harder IT support becomes. So the greater the emphasis on standardization, um, very, very simple stuff, making the default connection work, et cetera. And you can take that risk, but you'll always want to have somebody somewhere. If you don't know IT, you will want to have somebody somewhere on speed dial, even if they're a friend, <laughs> okay, to, yes. to basically say, somebody can't get on the internet, is it a real problem or not, et cetera. And, and you know, the, I think the rest, this stuff we could do with training, can be done with training, can be done with YouTube videos, et cetera, um, just to give yourself a bit of comfort um, and if you, of course, if you're employing somebody who's younger, I mean, you know, Jerry have been around uh, the rodeos for a good number of years. But 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 if you if you've got staff who are in their kind of twenties or whatever, actually, this is kind of second knowledge to them, and sometimes they just they don't even know that they're fixing the yeah, problems. It, it is amazing sometimes. Yeah, I, they make you feel old. So there's three. I mean, basically, there's three steps, right? Isn't there? There's um, log in, log out. Switch it on, switch it off. Sorry, switch it off, switch it on, and then phone a friend. Well, the other with a hammer, one, one of those. <laughs> well, well, yeah. I, the favorite one is well, well, everybody else is working fine, so it must be you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and actually, that's that's usually the truth, um, etc. And um, you know, with I, I say, there's a couple of processes, a couple of steps. So you know, if you talk to an IT support company. They quite often have a wiki and a process, and they go, customer is saying this, and this is how they train their staff. They go, customer says this, and they go, oh, have you tried this? They go to the next stage, have you done that, et cetera. Could you look at this? And, and it's actually only three or four steps. And then, and then the final one, which is, well, I think you need to talk to your IC support people. To see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And don't, don't, don't uh, neglect that one, because always push the customer. Because <laughs> actually, as I say, a good number of times, vast majority of times it will be a user problem not your problem not the network problem yeah as you say there's there's so many different um technical things that can come up but the simpler you can make your offer the more chance you have of avoiding some of those issues there's some there's some tricks that we use or not tricks but there's some some guidelines as well you know if it's your first time somebody comes in and says i can't get my son or speaker to work the 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 experienced people uh, operators will go well okay fine don't take it home you know our space is not for a solo speaker the inexperienced operators in the first one will go oh heavens why you 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 know you want your loudspeaker working in, in the office no you don't <laughs> but, but people do like their alexas they can't get their alexas to work in the in the office you can take quite a strong view on this and say well you know the connection is for 
you know, getting laptops and tablets and mobile phones working with the internet. And if you want something, a consumer device working, um, if it works fine, if it doesn't, it's not my problem. And, and, and don't be scared of having that attitude because a lot of operators, experienced operators will take that attitude and say, I'm not here to make your solar speaker work. Uh, and they're pretty unreliable anyway and pretty difficult to, to use. The one borderline are printers, wireless printers, which everybody hates and, 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 and could reasonably in an office expect a wireless printer to work, but they are probably the worst, most complicated issue that you'll come across on, on onboarding. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Without going through the technical stuff, yeah, it's that thing about internal network or going out external. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll leave it at that, shall we? <laughs> Tony, thanks so much for joining me again. I'm sure we'll come back to things in 12 months' time when it's all changed again. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we talk about 5G and sensors and IoT. That's right. Indeed, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I mean, there's certainly more integration than last time we spoke, which is really good and proving making our life a bit easier, you know, with other aspects of, of your offer for customers. But just just to wrap up, Tony, just remind us where people can find you. They can find the me at, um, well, easiest to email me, Tony at freeth.info. That's F-R-E-E-T-H. And that's probably the easiest way to find me. I'll, I'll on LinkedIn, you'll find me on LinkedIn as well. Great. Well, I'll, I'll put both in the um, in the show notes so people can find you. So thanks again, Tony. Look forward to our next chat. Pleasure. Thanks, Jerry. Hi there. I hope you're enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you, will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast? And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be a first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.